true crime friends. Welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. I am your host, Mary DePippi. I hope you all had a wonderful week this week. We've got the Super Bowl this Sunday. I don't really care about sports that much, but it's a fun time, I guess. The commercials are cool. And I'm excited to see, I think it's Rihanna in the halftime show. So it should be good. Don't forget to follow True Crime and Academia on social media at True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok and at TC in Academia on Twitter. Also, if you would like to get your hands on bonus episodes, please, please, please go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber. That is the only way you can access our bonus content. Not just mine, but the ivory towers as well. So, go to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom and become a subscriber now. So, this week we are continuing with the Death in the Dorms series from Hulu slash ABC News. And we are on to episode two, The Murder of Christian Aguilar. So, let's get into it. On September 20th, 2012... Erica Freeman, a student at Santa Fe Community College, waited anxiously for her boyfriend, Christian Aguilar, to come over. He was already late, which wasn't like him. She tried his cell phone, but there was no answer. She tried again and again and again with no avail. She then called his friends and roommates to see if Christian had been there or if they knew where he was. He had been hanging out with his friend Pedro Bravo earlier that day and was supposed to meet her after. Pedro had told her that he had dropped Christian off near the city limits and hadn't seen or heard from him since. As the night became morning, Erica became increasingly more worried. So she called Pedro to see if he had heard from Christian. When Pedro says that he hasn't, Erica is extremely terrified and tells Pedro that she's going to call the police. Pedro agrees and tells her that he'll go with her. On September 21st, 2012, Christian Aguilar is reported missing. Christian Aguilar was born to Carlos and Claudia Aguilar in 1993. His parents were originally from an admittedly poor area in Cali, Colombia. Carlos and Claudia worked hard, and Carlos first immigrated on his own to Miami, Florida, to work and establish a life for his now-pregnant wife and, you know, growing family. Pretty soon, Claudia was able to join Carlos, and Christian was born soon after, followed by his younger brother, Alexander, in 1995. Soon after that, actually, many of Carlos's family immigrated to Miami as well, which is really awesome, you know, that, you know, to have your whole family, you know, sadly, in a lot of cases, or in some cases, you know, some immigrants can't bring their whole family, they can only just bring certain members, like, in this situation, Carlos had to go over first, and basically, you know, establish a life for them first, before she could come, because it would be too financially straining, most likely, you know, to not only pay for two people to travel over, but, you know, to get settled and everything like that, it, you know. So 
luckily, you know, not only was she able to come over, but his family too, which also can help, you know, in these situations or in general, like, you know, some people, you know, I'm trying not to get political, but some people like to shit on immigrants and it's disgusting to me because some of them come over here with absolutely no understanding of the language, have almost no money and are doing everything that they can to create a better life for themselves and their family. And I mean, again, just like moving to a whole completely different area where you know nobody. I mean, just moving, like think of moving to like another state completely where you have no family or friends. Like, you know, it's like that, but also starting out with absolutely nothing. So, I mean, I give them so much kudos, not just Carlos and Claudia, but, you know, immigrants in general. That's an extremely hard thing to do. And I think an honorable and admirable thing to do, you know, to want to move your family somewhere where they can have a better life than you had, you know. But circling back, you know, it's nice that his family was there to join him, you know, so that moving to a new country, you know, it's not as lonely anymore. Now, Christian was described as being a comedian and always cracking jokes. He was also studious and really invested in school and learning and, you know, wanting to better himself through education. He also really liked helping people. In middle school, Christian attended the Doral Academy. The school was mostly children of Latina and Hispanic immigrants, and he made a lot of really close friends there that he remained close with up until his death. When he entered high school, Christian started planning seriously for his future. He knew he liked science and wanted to focus on a career in engineering. So his first choice school was the University of Florida, like the best school in the state. And he was really smart. And of course, when he applied, he got in. Now, this means that he would have to move five hours away from home. Now, while he was really excited to start this new chapter in his life, his parents were understandably concerned and worried, not in like an overbearing way, but in a normal first kids going to college kind of way. It was also a big deal because Christian was the first in their family to go to college. Christian began his freshman year in 2012 and decided that he wanted to study biomechanical engineering because, again, he really wanted to help people. In the actual episode, um, Carlos gives an example to, like, explain what biomechanical engineering is, and he just says it in the most loving and caring way. I mean, he and Alexander, his brother, you know, always just like speak so lovingly and so reverently of Christian. And it's just, I don't know, like to just see how much they love him through how they speak about him is, is really sweet. But he says, if someone, for example, loses a hand, he being Christian would create something to make their life a lot better. And he's right because biomechanical engineers create like prosthetic robots and other types of machines to help those with physical disabilities or, you know, amputations. At the time, Christian started dating an old Doral Academy friend, Erica Freeman. 
Christian's friends and family stated that they were really good together. Erica and Christian reconnected in college while she was going to Santa Fe Community College and he was going to the University of Florida and they were really close together like the schools so it was easy for them to you know meet up and hang out. On Friday September 21st 2012 at 9 a.m. Carlos receives a call from Claudia saying that Erica had just called her stating that Christian didn't return to his room to his dorm room the previous night and wasn't responding to calls or texts and she reported him missing. Carlos just immediately hangs up with his wife and tries to call his son multiple times but it goes straight to voicemail. Scared obviously and determined to find his son Carlos gets Alex out of school and grabs Claudia, and they all go down to Gainesville, Florida. Detective Randy Roberts from the Gainesville Police Department is assigned Christian's case. He immediately goes to the University of Florida State Police, and they tell him that two individuals, Erica Freeman and Pedro Bravo, came earlier that morning and reported Christian missing. They also tell him that Erica Freeman is his current girlfriend and that Pedro Bravo is a friend of Christian's from middle school. Erica and Pedro are then brought into the Gainesville Police Department for questioning. And essentially just like a quick interview and figure out what's going on. So they re-explain to the police at the Gainesville Police Department about their relationships to Christian and Uh, subsequently their relationship to each other basically that they had dated and broke up in high school of course then they also had to tell police you know where they were on september 20th you know what they did yeah you know the standard rounds of questioning now pedro said that christian was supposed to meet him for lunch and he did but then he also claims to have dropped christian off near the city limits later that night Erica stated that Christian was supposed to come over to her dorm slash apartment after this, like the two of them hanging out, and never showed up. Now, you would think that because the Gainesville Police Department is involved, that they would be solely handling this case. That's not entirely true. So I kind of want to go over what I guess most universities do, but this is specifically like the University of Florida Police's procedure for missing students so once they get the report they then start looking into a campus-wide network so basically that they can track a student when they log into their computer so they go to do this for christian and when they look for like his little signal or whatever they can't find it because it's not there They then pull up a student's class schedule and housing assignments and then officers are dispatched to the classes and to the dorm where they live or that they're, you know, assigned to to live. When the police go to do this, Christian's at neither place. Now, of course, at first, they're not super concerned, the University of uh, Florida police, because he's a college kid. Because they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe he just went out one night and got a little too drunk and, you know, he'll be back kind of a thing. But luckily, the Gainesville police dispatched more officers to the area where he was supposedly last seen and start more of a search. 
Detective Roberts has Erica come in for another interview. Also, he knows that he needs to track down Christian's phone. So, he reaches out to Detective Matt Geckel and tasks him with looking into Christian's phone records and the locations of the cell phone towers that the phone is pinging off from, if at all. Detective Roberts also decides that he needs to re-interview Pedro as well. Now, in his interview with Pedro, Pedro states that he and Christian drove to Best Buy and bought a CD and then ran to like, you know, went to a few other stores. At some point, Pedro says that he admits to Christian that he's feeling suicidal. The two eventually get into a fight and he says that Christian demanded to be let out. So Pedro does and then goes home. He says that he then took some sleeping pills, not to overdose, but to sleep. Looked around on his laptop for a little bit, then his phone had died, and then he went to sleep and hadn't heard from Christian since. Now, while Pedro is being interviewed, police are searching his car. Inside, they find a receipt from McDonald's from the night before, purchasing a meal around 12.54 a.m., which contradicts Pedro's story. The detectives confront Pedro with this evidence and Pedro admits that, okay, like his story isn't right and he changes it again. Instead, he admits that Christian didn't actually ask to be let out of the car, but that Pedro forced him out of the car after Pedro hit Christian in the nose. Then he also changes it and says, well, you know, I didn't force him. Like, I actually had to push him out of the car. And then after he got out of the car, he said he punched him repeatedly. But that Christian was alive, just knocked out for a little while when he left him. Yeah. Now, Christian's family is also beginning their own search. And the media does get wind of this. And a phone interview was aired on the news at night. And in this interview, Carlos is basically begging residents to help him and his family search for Christian. You've heard me talk about my amazing friend Mandy before. She makes the best crochet, cre-cut, and custom home decor for reasonable prices. If you're looking for a -a one-of-a-kind gift or some new decor to add some new life into your home, look no further. Mandy has got you. I have quite a few items from her ranging from a crocheted headband to Halloween decor items to my amazing and adorable Coraline ornament. Um, If you guys haven't noticed, I'm like obsessed with Coraline and I just love how Mandy makes it. She's also made me a Coraline doll that sits next to all of my true crime books. To order, just slide in her DMs on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E, Made It, on Facebook and Instagram. Once again, go to Mandy Made It on Facebook and Instagram. Send her a DM and order today. At this point, Detective Geckel is responsible now for looking into Pedro's phone. But he can only track Pedro's location from the various calls that he makes the night of Christian's disappearance and, you know, the cell towers that they ping off of. So they're really only getting like approximate locations. But Detective Geckel notices the location that 
Christian's phone turns off at and noticed that Pedro's phone was pinging from that same area, the area where Christian's phone turns off. Because, I mean, the two phones were together um, or pinging off from the same tower when Christian's phone turned off, which you would expect, you know, if, you know, Pedro forced him out of the car. That would make sense. I mean, his phone turning off wouldn't make sense, but the fact that their two phones are to get, like, would be in the same area makes sense. However, it doesn't make sense that Pedro's phone would still be pinging off that same tower in that same area for two hours. When confronted with this information, Pedro changes his story again. He said that after that happened, he then went to Walmart and then went to his apartment. But what the detectives know is that after he was at his apartment, he then drove out to that same area and then his phone turns off. Now, during this interview, Pedro starts making subtle remarks that lead investigators to believe that he might actually try to harm himself. By law, they have to send him for a psych evaluation and potential hold. Whether it's voluntary or involuntary, they have to do it. The next day, volunteers show up to help the Aguilar family search for Christian. Now, volunteers consisted of the Gainesville community, University of Florida students, family, and friends. Erica was there as well, and Alex said that she was just as terrified and seemed just as worried about Christian as they were. And I do believe this. We'll get into that in a minute. But I truly don't think that she knew about what happened to Christian. But I do think that she was scared and had a feeling that maybe Pedro was involved. But we'll get into that in a minute. Two days later, police presented evidence against Pedro Bravo to the court for a minimum charge of abandoning an injured person. Because at that point, that's literally all that he's admitted to. And that's kind of all they have evidence for at the moment. They then go to the psychiatric hospital that Pedro is being held at and examine his person for defensive wounds. Now, at this point, because there are charges against him, Detective Geckel is really able to look into Pedro's phone. He looks at one particular log that tracks the phone's usage and like the actions taken on a phone and the battery life. Now, Pedro had initially told police that his phone had died, but Detective Geckel found that that wasn't true. According to the log on his phone, the phone didn't die, but Pedro kept putting his phone on airplane mode. Now, because of this as well, they were also able to track Pedro and Christian's movements more clearly based off of where they knew Pedro's phone was. Now, it seemed that every store that Pedro and Christian went into that day when they talked to like the people that they spoke with, it seemed that Pedro had always asked if there was surveillance cameras around. Now, just saying, but that sounds a lot like premeditation to me. Detective Geckel also finds that between the hours of 8 p.m. and 1 a.m., Pedro's phone is off the radar, meaning it's not pinging from any towers. He also finds that Pedro uses his flashlight app in the middle of the night slash early morning 
for 43 minutes straight. Not like occasionally throughout, but for 43 minutes straight. What are you looking for, Pedro? Hmm? Now, a search warrant was obtained for Pedro's apartment. Inside, they find even more evidence. There was a receipt for a shovel that he had bought. And in one of the closets inside multiple suitcases was Christian's backpack. And inside Christian's backpack was like his wallet and all of his identification cards. Basically anything that could have helped him if Pedro's story is true, which I don't think it is. You know, that he just beat him up and like that he left him while he was passed out or knocked out or whatever. You know. He, he then also left him with nothing to help himself. So, but again, that's not true. We'll talk about that in a second. Because of this, it was looking more and more like a homicide. Investigators also found that Pedro had journals. And in these journals, it outlined his obsession with Erica and a written plan as to how he was going to get Erica back. This plan included killing Christian. Now, when the media got wind of this, they tried to make it seem like it was a love triangle, but it wasn't. Pedro was obsessed with Erica after they broke up. Erica moved on and Pedro just couldn't handle it. Erica is then brought in again for another interview, but this time it's to get more information about Pedro. She basically gives the detectives a history of her and Pedro's relationship. She stated that they had started dating around sophomore, junior year. And the previous December, Pedro had started acting differently. Like he was ignoring her and showing up extremely late. And she was just feeling like this was a very toxic relationship. So... As graduation started approaching, she decided that they needed to break up. She states that after the breakup, Pedro became very possessive of her. She then leaves for community college, and that's when she reconnected with Christian. Now, while their relationship was starting, Pedro was actually getting information about Christian and Erica's relationship from other people, which I'm sure like the people that fed him this information did it innocently I don't think that they really thought he would do anything to harm them I think maybe they might have just felt pity that you know he was probably heartbroken and pining over her and you know just checking in on her I guess kind of a thing but I don't think they did it like maliciously in hopes that he would do anything he then really starts planning this whole get Erica back, kill Christian plan. He decides to abandon his full ride scholarship at the University of Miami to go to the same community college that Erica did. Needless to say, Erica was shocked when he finally decided to like make his presence known because she states to police that she really had no clue he was at that same community college or that he was even in the Santa Fe area to begin with. But of course, he's like, no, I just I just want to be friends. Eventually, he reaches out to Christian, which, again, neither Erica nor Christian found to be weird because they all used to like hang out in middle school. 
Investigators at this point also take Pedro's vehicle in for further forensic analysis. They find duct tape and carpet samples containing Christian's DNA from blood and lung fluid stains. They also uncover a Gatorade bottle that contained Gatorade and a type of sleeping pill. It was suspected that Pedro tried to get Christian to drink the Gatorade sleeping pill concoction to make it easier to kill him. And at that point, they pretty much confirmed that Christian was dead and Pedro was charged soon after with Christian's murder. On October 12th, 2012, at 3.05 p.m., two men were out in the woods for a hike and possibly to hunt when they noticed the smell of decomp. They suspected it to be some sort of animal. I mean, they're in the woods. It happens. And they decide to look for the source of the odor. And sadly, they find Christian's body. One of Christian's shoes was also found at the scene. The trial of Pedro Bravo began in 2014. Pedro pleaded not guilty and maintained his innocence throughout the trial. Christian's family stayed in the courtroom throughout the entire trial in support for their son and to get him justice. After the two-week trial, the jury went to deliberate on the nine charges against Pedro. The charges included murder, kidnapping, and poisoning. The jury came back with the guilty murder charge, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Christian's family was understandably relieved that they were able to get justice for their son. They then decided to start a foundation in Christian's name that raises money and helps fund the training for search and rescue dogs, just like the ones that helped in the search for Christian when they had the searches. Carlos Aguilar is the owner of a few of those dogs, and he has been involved with numerous successful and unsuccessful searches with them. The University of Florida also later rewarded Christian a posthumous degree, which I think is really awesome. All right, my darlings, that is all I have for you today. I hope you all enjoyed the rest of your weekend. I mean, well, your weekend because it started. I hope you all stay safe especially with the Super Bowl on Sunday. Please don't drink and drive. Stay healthy out there. Wash your hands. Do all the things. And until next time, my loves, I will see you later. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby. I really hope you follow us on social media because that's where you get to see all of the exciting video clips, teasers, and humorous moments. So follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and on our Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. I hope you all are following the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe and become a member for only $5. You get all of our interviews and episodes ad-free. You also get to watch the video interviews. You get to see my lovely face and the guest's lovely face. And you get access to all the bonus episodes. So Dr. Jake Newsom talking about the history of the pink triangle, Zach Topping talking about being an army vet and what that meant when he wrote 
a war novel and a dystopian novel. You get to hear Gregory Maguire's breaking news about the Wicked movie musical, Jesse Green talking about Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein. And what did Stephen Sondheim actually think about Rogers and Hammerstein? So head to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Please, please provide me an iced coffee. I would love it because I need to stay up to do all these edits. So yeah, see you all in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe. And here is Mary DePippi from True Crime and Academia. Hi, everyone. I am Mary DePippi. As Andrew said, I am the host of True Crime and Academia. True Crime and Academia airs on Fridays at 730. Now to find all things True Crime and Academia, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia or on Twitter at TC and Academia because, well, they hate it when you have too many characters. Like I said, True Crime and Academia airs on Fridays at 730s. But if you are a subscriber, you get a bonus episode. That's right. A whole episode just to yourselves that no one else gets to hear. Like... I do a deep dive on the case of JonBenet Ramsey. I deep dive Casey Anthony. We talk about the history of the lobotomy. And most recently, we talked about the Night Stalker himself, Richard Ramirez. So if you want to access all of that extra wonderful content, go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. And like Andrew said, if you could just please buy us a nice coffee, that would that would be great. That would be really, yes. really great. It would be great. We appreciate it. We also interact with all of you on Patreon. So ask us your insightful questions. We will answer them for you. And we want to thank our spring 23 interns, Andrea, Caitlin, Rosie, and Sheila. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to see you all back again in the ivory tower boiler room. Happy winter, everyone. <laughs>